Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuhu from the podcast team at Qalam. We wanted to wish you a very blessed Ramadan. This month you can expect daily uploads that will include reflections, khatiras and khutbas all from our new campus Alhamdulillah. If you benefit from this content, please give generously at supportqalam.com. 100% of your donations goes towards the means of providing accessible Islamic knowledge to people around the world. Jazakumullah khairan for listening. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah wa kafa wa salamun ala ibadihin ladhin astafa. Khususan ala sayyidi rusuli wa khatim il anbiya. Wa ala alihi il askiya wa ashabihi il atqiya. Amma ba'd. We started our conversation on standing up to and facing evil temptation and how that is a road that must be crossed as a part of your individual growth. These temptations, when they consume a person and step outside of a healthy boundary, they become a great distraction and they end up consuming you from within. Yesterday we spoke of overeating and gluttony. Today we turn to the second, which is not controlling one's passion, one's lust. I wanted to start with an incident that's narrated by Imam Bukhari in his authentic collection of hadith. So after the Treaty of Hudaybiyah was signed in the sixth year after prophethood. Now that things in the Hijaz were stable, because there was formally an agreement of 10 years of peace between the Muslims in Mecca and the Quraysh, Muslims in Medina and the Quraysh of Mecca, the Prophet turned his attention to the leaders of the world. He wanted to write letters to them, to invite them to Islam and to tell them about this faith. One of these letters was sent to Hiraqal, Adim al-Rum. He was the Roman emperor of the time. When he received this letter of the Prophet ﷺ, he was puzzled. He didn't know who this person was, didn't know what was going on. So he sent his soldiers to go to the markets and find someone that was from Arabia so he can speak to that person directly or those people directly and learn about the Prophet ﷺ. They went to the market and they found a group of Arab traders that were there. Among them was a man by the name of Abu Sufyan. Now the interesting thing is, bear in mind, he was the leader of the Quraysh, who are the, the, the great opposition of the Muslims. These people were not friends, they were clearly foes. He was in the market at the time with some people. By the way, Abu Sufyan later on becomes Muslim, so he has the opportunity and honor to share this story. We were taken to the palace of the Caesar, he says, to, of this Roman emperor, sorry. When we got there into Hiraqal's palace, there was a group of us. Hiraqal asked which one of you is the most senior. He identified himself. He said to him, step forward. He said to the other companions, you guys will stand behind him. Hiraqal was a smart man. In order to get the truth out of him, he played a trick. He said to Abu Sufyan, you will stand in the front and I will ask you questions and you will answer. He said to those in the back that if he lies, nod your head. Don't say a word, just nod your head. And I'll take care of him for lying to me. 
Abu Sufyan had no guarantee that his friends would back him up. So now he was forced to speak the truth. And Hiraqal in the Hadith of Sahih al-Bukhari interviews him with a long list of questions and he was a very intelligent man. At the end of it, he actually explains the cause and reason for each question. One of the things that he asked Abu Sufyan at the time, he said, فَمَاذَا يَأْمُرُكُمْ So what does this Prophet command you of? What's the essence of his teachings? He's a Christian man, he wants to learn about Islam. What is his faith that he's being invited to in this letter? In this letter, What does Islam teach you? So Abu Sufyan at the time, who is a foe, he says, قَالَ قُلْتُ He said, I said to him, يَقُولُ He says, أُعْبُدُ اللَّهَ وَحْدَهُ وَلَا تُشْرِكُهُ بِهِ شَيْئًا His first call is to worship God alone. Make no partners with him at all. And all of these claims that your forefathers make, these fairy tales that have been handed down to you, that God has this helper, and you know, and 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 the and you know, all these fairy tales and these far-fetched ideas that exist in terms of what you believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, let it all go. Let all of that go. He commands us to praise Salah, that we are regular in worshiping Allah. Wasidqi, to be truthful, that we don't lie. Wala'afaf, that he commands people to be pure and modest. He's teaching them chastity. Wasila, and to be kind to your family members and join ties. When Abu Sufyan is speaking of the message of Rasulullah, as a non-Muslim, he highlights that at the center of the message of the Prophet his message is al-afaf, to be, to be chaste, to not be indecent, to not be inappropriate. This is something that's very important because we live in a world where perversion has entered into every nook and corner of our lives. Right? The industries that are out there that offer free content for people online are consuming them. What, is, what was sacred is no longer sacred. Relationships, um, hierarchy and community, respect that people had to one, towards one another is all gone. And the idea is that a point comes where a human being becomes prey of their own beastly uh, desires to the point where nothing else matters to them. And all you have in society are people that are unfortunately perverted. And the rights of people are being destroyed and harm spreads and prisons are full and people continue to just devour their own. In order to stop this, because the outcome of this is horrible, let alone the spiritual, the social, the economical, the communal impact of this. There is one harm of committing adultery and fornication, but we know as Muslims, the Prophet ﷺ says to us that a greater harm is for someone to do this with their own neighbor. Because not only are you committing a sin that is wrong on you, but you are breaking society. In order for people to live, you have to be able to trust one another. A young girl should be able to trust her teacher. A young boy should be able to trust his teacher. People should be able to trust one another. That I can actually have an interaction with my own uncle, with my own aunt, with my own cousin, without being preyed on. If I can't do that within a community, what will happen to people? We will have young men and women who have unfortunately been harmed, and even adults that have been violated. And as a result of that, they are now non-functional human beings of society. Now this discussion is very broad and there's so much to cover here. Islam nips this issue in the bud. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala teaches us a lesson through the Qur'an of something that we call saddu dharaya. 
that if there is an ultimate harm that, li that lies ahead, we cut it off right at the beginning. We don't go anywhere near it. What is haram is zina. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't just tell us not to commit zina. He says, la taqrabu zina. Don't go anywhere near zina. Zina is fornication, adultery. But that's far ahead. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us, don't go anywhere near it. As for the spiritual implications of this, the Prophet sallallahu tells us in a hadith, where some scholars have classified weak in its authenticity, but nonetheless the meaning is sound and it can be corroborated. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi that an evil glance is an arrow from the po is a poisonous arrow from the arrows of shaitan. That once a person casts that lustful haram glance, shaitan has now fired at them. And there is now a poisonous arrow in you. The thing about an arrow or any sort of wound is that when you remove the object that is hurting you, if you have the right medical attention, you can cure it and move on. With poison, it lingers on. It sticks with you. The Prophet ﷺ, when he passed away, he said, before he passed away, that I can still feel the poison of Khaybar in me. Because Nabi ﷺ was poisoned um, by a lady from Khaybar. So he said, I can still feel the effect of that poison in my body. This is before he passed away, three years later. The hadith continues, Man Whoever leaves and abandons that haram glance out of my fear, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is speaking. Abdaltuhu imanan, yajidu halawatahu fi qalbihi. I will, I will in return grant him a level of iman, a level of faith, he will experience the sweetness of it in his heart. That I will give this to that servant of mine who is willing to take this step. The Prophet ﷺ tells us that whenever indecency enters into something, when people begin to speak inappropriately, when they dress provocatively, when people lose their modesty, it only, it only creates deficiency in that matter and, and that thing loses its beauty. Beauty lies in modesty. Right? Beauty lies and you can dress however you like. But just make sure it's modest. Islam doesn't have a uniform. Islam doesn't tell us that you have to wear a particular garment. Islam doesn't tell us you have to wear a robe, that you have to wear a robe or you have to have this or you have to have that. It's open, it's open game, you can dress as you want. What Islam teaches us when it comes to dress is be modest. Even when it comes to the garments of women, there is no hadith or statement of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam or ayah of the Qur'an that tells women that they must wear black. This is a cultural thing. Some people wear it, you wear it if you want to, you don't want to wear it, don't wear it. Whatever you wear, whatever color you choose at the end of the day, you need to ensure that your garments are covering. And this not only applies to women, this applies to men as well. It applies to everyone in the community. That we have to create a system of modesty. Because there are social harms that lie ahead of us. But first and foremost, there is a spiritual harm that is right before us. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in the Quran, That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is aware of the treachery of the eye and that which the hearts conceal. You're driving around, you cast one glance. That's natural. Look away. Now, if you wish to engage in a second lustful glance, that's on you. That's your choice. Do you do that or not? 
The Prophet ﷺ told the Sahabi that that first glance is pardoned by Allah because it's accidental. But that second one now, if you choose not to glance back again, that is a testimony of your taqwa. That this person has consciousness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In this moment, they know. Because as some ulama, one scholar wrote a book on haram glances, and he named it very eloquently. He called it gunahe bi lazzat. Which means basically a sin without any real pleasure. Right? A person glances, what pleasure is there in that? It's, opportuni it's an opportunity for you to step away. When a person eats something haram, there is a tangible physical pleasure there. Right? So he calls it gunahe be lazzat. When you cast that first glance, look away. And now when that desire comes again, look, it's an opportunity for you to hold back. This would prevent so much harm that has come to our relationships in our community if people, individuals can maintain their chastity. We have people that are married for decades now and they speak so indecent in front of their own spouse that people are complaining and they're saying that, why is this happening? Why can't we just be appropriate with one another? Can a man and woman, can two people, you know, or a group of people not just be in a common area and expect that we can respect one another and have a glance of modesty? That we look at each other as human beings and not as objects? If we continue down this route of just giving in to our perversions, unfortunately, there will be no safe person in the community. There will be no safe person. There will be no sanctity between a patient and a physician, between a teacher and a student. The cases that come out every day are more and more daunting and you begin to wonder that is the society that we've given our blood and sweat to be a part of even worth being a part of? And I'm not speaking of one nation, one country. It's almost humanity at large. We're talking about the world here. We're not talking about any one group of people. Every person has to take hold of themselves. Walls and barriers at best are a tool. They aren't a solution. The solution lies in the human's perspective and the heart of the human being. You have to purify your heart. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commands us in the Quran, قُلْ لِلْمُؤْمِنِينَ يَغُضُّ مِنْ أَبْصَارِهِمْ وَيَحْفَظُ فُرُوجَهُمْ ذَلِكَ أَزْكَى لَهُمْ Tell the believing men, and in the following verses, believing women, the ruling is identical, to lower their gaze and protect their private areas, to hold back from engaging in any sexual activity that is unlawful on them. It is more purifying for them. It is better for them. So, having no lust at all is not a praiseworthy thing in Islam. Having uncontrolled lust is bad as well. What we're looking for is a middle ground here. And that middle ground, Islam promotes nikah. It promotes marriage, not just to the common folks and prohibits the clergy from engaging in marriage. It encourages everyone. The Prophet ﷺ said, There are four things that are from the that are from the way of the prophets. All prophets did this. And one of them was an nikah marriage. And our belief as Muslims is that even when Isa Jesus does return to this world, he will get married then. Isa will engage in that, in that sunnah of Nabi because it is from Sunan al-Mursaleen. So if you ask what is the proper outlet of exercising one's lust, marriage is that outlet. It's about commitment. It's about knowing that when you are intimate with someone, there is a responsibility that comes with it and you wake up to that responsibility and go to that responsibility and you handle it with honor and dignity and that you take care of people. You don't just use people and walk away and before you know it, you have a group of people in society that are lonely. 
because they've fulfilled their lust, but emotionally they're hollow from within. They're looking for companionship. This is a very important discussion. Something the Quran gives a lot of attention to and is clearly a central theme in the teachings of Rasulullah. And as we move along, for each of us, we will need to make hard decisions. Decisions that involve us monitoring what kind of content we view when we're online, when we're watching our movies. Are we just going to sit back as families and allow immodesty to, to be in front of us? Or are we going to take control of the content that we intake? Remembering that if there's something that you don't have control of and you're someone that's vulnerable, you might choose to abstain altogether. That you know what, this sort of material is too much for me. Maybe it's best I take a break, work on myself before I engage again. Remembering that in those moments that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is with you and He is watching you. And even if you fail, that's okay. Failing is okay. But the next time around when you come, you try again and you fight it. You may fail again, but you try again. You don't give up. There was a young man who I spoke to who had a heart addiction of, uh, of something that he wasn't too proud of. And I had a conversation with him. It was a sticky situation. Families were involved. So he said one thing to me. He said, Sheikh, you know, unfortunately, I made some bad decisions when I was young. And I got addicted to certain things that I wish I wasn't. If there was a way for me to flick a switch and pay a million dollars to end this, and I had a million dollars, I would give it in a heartbeat. I don't like this a part of me, the truth is. I really wish that I could solve this issue, but it's an addiction and I'm working on it. And I said to him, look buddy, keep trying. Life's a journey. We fall, we rise. Some days you win, some days you lose. You, and this is the last thing I want to leave you with. Keep making dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allahumma ati nafsi taqwaha wa zakiha anta khayru man zakkaha. Oh Allah, purify the heart. Allow me to be content with those that are content with me. Allow me to be loyal to my family and let them be loyal to me. Let me find bliss in those that matter and not care for those who don't matter. Let me find unity and, 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 and focus in my perspective in life. We Muslims believe that, look, this world is not a place of temptations. Fulfilling your, fulfilling your desires is what Jannah is for. That's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَكُمْ فِيهَا مَا تَشْتَهِهِ الْأَنفُسِ That everything you desire is there for you in Jannah. In this world, you live, you get through life, you enjoy yourself within certain parameters, but know that you won't be able to fulfill every desire of yours without violating what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has told us in the Quran and Sunnah. It's a tough thing to come to terms with, but it surely is a central one and it's a very important one. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us tawfiq. Wa sallallahu ta'ala ala Sayyidina Muhammad. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa